gospel, especially with Bible Talk TV, and we appreciate the partnership uh, in that. And I know that that's been a wonderful thing for a lot of our folks uh, in SARE, and I know there's a, um, thousands of others uh, that's uh, benefiting from that and appreciate so much your work. And we pray that God continue to bless you in, in all your works uh, here uh, in the kingdom. Before uh, we get into our lesson, would you please pray with me? Heavenly Father, we thank you for tonight and the opportunity uh, that we have to, to study your word. Thank you, Father, um, that we have a great hope of eternal life and that uh, we're preparing for an eternity with you. And may we never forget that. May we encourage one another as we walk th through this life. And may we encourage others uh, to make it a priority uh, to get ready uh, for the coming of your son uh, for death if that comes first but father we thank you for the hope over this life and we thank you for this the congregation of your people continue to bless them as they serve you continue father to draw us near to you and we pray that things we say tonight be pleasing to you it's in jesus name we pray amen the book or the letter that we're going to look at tonight obviously is philippians it's a letter that was written by paul it was a letter that uh, the evidence within the letter is very, um, you know, overwhelming, I think, that, that it was Paul that wrote it. It's a prison epistle. He wrote it from prison, probably from Rome. Um, Paul comes into Philippi. If you remember, you got to go back to Acts chapter 16. He comes into Philippi. There's no synagogues there, uh, you know, probably not enough Jewish men that are there. So they go to the riverside on the Sabbath day, and they find these women that have gathered together. They've come together. And one of those women was Lydia, wasn't it? And Paul teaches Lydia. She believes the gospel. Her and her household are baptized. And for all practical purposes, we see that's the beginning of the Lord's body, the Lord's church there in Philippi. But it's also a beginning of a wonderful relationship between Paul and the people there. And we understand as we read through Philippians that that there's tremendous love from Paul towards the Philippians and the Philippians towards Paul. In fact, we find that Epaphroditus was sent by the Philippians to assist Paul. And we also see that Paul's writing this letter, and he's going to send this letter with Epaphroditus to the Philippians. And what we also see in this letter is that Paul had a, a, a purpose for the, the letter. But I think one thing that stands out is that Paul wanted these people to be ready. He wanted these people to be blameless, to be pure, to be ready for the day of Christ, to be prepared to go be with the Lord. And you think of a, a time that there's no cell phones, there's no Facebook, no, no social media, and yet they still maintain contact with one another. They still stayed in touch with one another. And they even assisted Paul and continued to support him in his work when he was in other places. There's a lot of different ways we could go tonight as far as our lesson this evening. But for time's sake, what we want to do is we want to take a look at four things within this letter or this book that I think are very important. Uh, and we're going to look at one in each chapter, kind of as an overview. And obviously we, we can look at a lot of different things. But the first thing we want to look at this evening is, and these are you can call these the four Ps of Philippians. Maybe help us remember. The first thing we see in Philippians is purpose. We see purpose. Paul states his purpose, I think you could say in Philippians chapter 1 and verse 21. And some people would even say this is kind of the heart 
of the letter or of the book of Philippians. Look at verse 21. For me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. A lot of things to love about Paul, but one thing you got to love about Paul is Paul knew his purpose. He knew he had a purpose. He understood that purpose, and he was, he was devoted to carrying that purpose out. You may have heard this story. This was years ago. A young man comes to W.E. Gladstone. And W.E. Gladstone at the time was the prime minister of, of England. And the young man says, I want to tell you a little bit about my future plans. He said, you have, a little bit, you have some time for me to talk to you about it. And Gladstone said, sure. He said, well, I just want you to know that I'm going to go study law. Gladstone said, that's great. What then? He said, well, then and I'm going I'm to gain entrance into the, the, the bar of England. He said, that's great. What then? We said, well, then I, I want to have a place in, in Parliament. I, I want to be in the House of Lords. Gladstone said, that's great, but what then? Well, I want to do great things for Britain. Gladstone said, that, that's great, but what then? I said, well, I guess I'll retire and kind of take life easy. Gladstone said, well, that's great, but what then? The young man hesitated for a, a moment, and he said, well, you know, I... I guess I never thought any further than that, sir. Gladstone looked at the young man and very sternly he said, Young man, you're a fool. Go home and think your life through. Let me ask you this tonight. Have we really thought our life through? In other words, I, I know that we're planning for retirement or we're, we're wanting to raise our kids or we want them to go to a good college. We want them to, to be able to provide for themselves. But have we planned our life through as far as eternity goes? Have we prepared our children for eternity? Are we preparing when the Lord comes back? Are we ready when the Lord comes back? Are we encouraging one another, trying to help one another to be prepared? Paul was. And I think Paul is trying to help prepare and continue to, to help these Christians in Philippi to be ready when the Lord comes back. If I were to ask you this tonight, or anyone would ask you now, what's your purpose in life? What would you say? Not what do you think I think you should say or what you think I, I want, want to hear, but what really is your purpose in this life? You know, a lot of people say, well, it's to provide for my family. That's not a bad thing. We need to do that. My purpose in life is to have a good job, to be able to, to buy the things that, that I need, to put food on the table. My purpose in life, maybe some would say, is to do good works for people, to, to, to be a good citizen, to, to help other people. Some people say my purpose in life is to make myself happy, right? Because after all, you deserve to be happy, don't you? Isn't that what everybody tells you? Isn't that what our culture says? In fact, God wants you to be happy, right? Even the religious world would tell us God wants you to be happy, so you find what's happy, what makes you happy, and you go after that. You do that because after all, God wants you to be happy, right? What happens when that is our purpose and our our goal in life, to make ourselves happy. We go after money, we go after fame, we go after power, we go after more of the, the stuff that this world offers, and the more stuff we get, what happens? The least satisfied we become, right? Because it's never enough. We're always going to want more. Ecclesiastes chapter 5, verse 10 he who loves money will not be satisfied with money, nor he who loves wealth his income. This also is vanity. A great teacher 
understood that. He had maybe more than any of us could imagine, and he understood it was all worthless. Paul had a purpose in which Paul could find fulfillment, and this is important. He could find fulfillment regardless of whether things were good or things were difficult. It didn't matter his situation. It didn't matter his circumstances. At the center of the life of Paul was Christ. He had surrendered everything to Jesus. His purpose purpose for living was to honor Jesus, was to magnify Christ, right? And that word magnify, when you think about them, we don't see a lot of magnifying glasses anymore, but glasses or bifocals, what are those things used for? To help see what you're looking at more clearly and make it bigger, right? A good question to ask ourselves is, when people look at my life, do I help them see Jesus more clearly? Do I help them to see Jesus in a better way? Even in chains, Paul wanted to honor Christ. Paul wanted to magnify Christ. And Paul knew he was in chains for the sake of Christ. To advance the gospel, to further the gospel of Christ. Even if others preach Christ out of selfish motives, even if others preach Jesus and their intent was to make it harder for Paul who's in prison, Paul says, I what? I rejoice because at least Christ is being preached. At least Christ is being taught. Christ was going to be honored in Paul's body, whether by life or by death, he says in verse number 20. Christ was going to be honored in his body. It didn't matter whether he lived or whether he died. Here's the beauty of a life lived in Christ. The beauty of Christ being your life and my life is that he is our life whether things are terrific or things are terrible physically or as far as our circumstances go. It doesn't matter our situation He's our life, no matter what circumstances we face. Paul reminded also the Christians in Philippi that not only should they believe in Jesus, but you get to verse number 29, but also they should be willing to suffer for Jesus. They should be willing to suffer for his sake. Sometimes I think there's this mindset that if the Lord will make my life easier, then I'll serve the Lord, right? And I think sometimes even as Christians, when we're studying with people and we're trying to to encourage people to become Christians, there's a tendency for us to think or or try to teach that, you know, things are going to be really good if you become a Christian. I'm not saying that that there's not great blessings with being a Christian, but sometimes if we're not careful, we focus too much on the physical. And so we think, well, if I serve the Lord, he's going to make my life easier. Sometimes that's, that's what we think, and we want to maybe even bargain with God. If I serve you, if I give you my life, you know, fix these things in in my life. And sometimes folks want the blessings, but maybe they don't really want the blesser, the one who bestows the blessings, the one who provides the blessings. And I think the real test of our faith is, will I love the blesser even if I don't receive all the blessings that I think I want or I think that I need? Will we love the Lord? Will we serve him? Will we be faithful to him? Even if I have to suffer for him. Even if I'm called to to be persecuted or to go through hardships because I serve him. Because I love him. 
I think sometimes we don't always realize that our burdens, our hardships, our, our difficulties, whatever we want to call them, they can be blessings, right? God can use those things as blessings in your life and in my life. I read something that Brother Wendell Winkler once said. He says, if we find a worm in our apple, we can have fish for supper. It's kind of our perspective in life, isn't it? You know, we look at that worm, that's a bad thing, but, but it depends on my perspective. It depends on how I look at it. Remember Paul said in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, in verse number 10 at the end of that verse, For when I am weak, then... I am strong. In my weakness, it's in my weakness, it's in my, my hardships, I think, that I can depend upon God and that I'm reminded my purpose is in Him. It's not in the good things in my life. It's not in the things that I do. My purpose is not found even just in the, the blessings, the physical blessings of this life. My pur- purpose is found in Him. And if Christ is my life, if Christ is your life, whether good or bad, in the situations that we face, our purpose never changes. And we can take that to the bank. We can always trust that, that our purpose in a a changing world constantly, by the second, our purpose in Christ never changes. And Christ is our life, so that means that we live this life for him, and we trust that whatever it is we're, we're dealing with, that he will use it for his purpose, for his perfect will. So in chapter 1, we see, we see purpose. In chapter 2, we see a pattern. We see a pattern. We see an example, you, you might say, to, to look to. You look at chapter 2 and verse number 5. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. That's the English Standard Version. The New King James reads, Let this mind be in you, which also was in Christ Jesus, or was also in Christ Jesus. Paul points to to the humility. He points to the the selfless attitude and the mind of Jesus as the pattern for Christians. And he's encouraging these Christians that the mind and the attitude that they needed to have was the mind and the attitude of Jesus. We talk a lot about self-esteem in our world today. I mean, you can turn on a TV show, you you can turn on the the cable networks, you turn on the morning show, and just about every day you can find something about self-esteem. You go to any bookstore where there's so many books written about how to build our self-esteem. How many books are out there about how to esteem others greater than yourself? We're studying one tonight, the only one I really know about. I mean, I'm sure there maybe there's some out there, but this is the only one that really matters. There is one. How to, how to esteem others better than ourselves. I'm convinced that the best thing that you and I can do for our self-esteem is to esteem others above ourselves. Quit thinking about myself and start thinking about others. My dad has a good friend, longtime friend. He, he's a recovering alcoholic, and he struggled with this for years and years and years And what he does, whenever he has the urge to drink, he goes down to the grocery store and he buys a turkey, buys groceries and takes to the local shelter to get his mind off himself and on to other people. i got to quit thinking about myself and start thinking 
about others. And that's a challenge, isn't it? I mean, that, that is a, a daily challenge for us in the culture that we live in because our culture encourages us to focus on self. And everything we see just about, everything we hear, you turn on the television, you listen to the radio, you know, you've got to have this product, and if you have this product, it'll make you happy. You drive this car, you got this diamond on your, your finger, you're going to be happy, right? And what we don't always stop and think about, those people don't really care if we're happy, they just want our money. They just want us to buy their product, right? And yet, we may even have those things. And if that's where we're looking for happiness, we'll never find it. A good exercise, I think, for all of us to do would be maybe tomorrow take a, get a pen and a piece of paper and put it in your pocket. And as you go throughout the day, think about how many times do I say the word I or me or my or mine and just make a little mark on that sheet of paper and then maybe total that up at the end of the day. A wise gospel preacher said you, you do that and you might find that maybe uh, I'm me deep in self me deep in self. Sometimes we don't realize how focused on self we can be. And I think that's a, a good examination, self-examination for all of us. A pattern. We see a pattern in chapter 2. I want us to look over at chapter 3. Chapter 3. We see a prize. We see a prize. We're all about prizes in our world today, aren't we? You know, there are a lot of awards that are out there. One of the first things that, that comes to my mind when I think about a prize is sports. And I just saw where the 2018 Olympics, we're going to have the Winter Olympics coming up uh, next year. And, you know, the ultimate prize in the Olympics is a gold medal. And what's interesting about the Olympics is, is people will train years and years. Some of them have trained all their lives. They've given up relationships. They've given up school. They've given up uh, any extracurricular activity. They've given up so many different things to be devoted to winning a gold medal. All the professional sports ha have a trophy. The NFL has the Lombardi trophy, the Super Bowl trophy. Pretty much all the, the sports have a, a championship ring that everybody is, is after, they're devoted to, they're sacrificing a lot of different things to go after that prize. Our schools, we award awards to our, our young people, our kids for, their, uh, for how they excel in the classroom, in the work environment. We give awards for um, you know, excellent work, excellence in their career or their job, for years of service. So we find awards all throughout our culture in our world today. And we live in a culture where many people are striving for awards. I want you to think about Paul and all the achievements that he had. I don't know if you could have achieved any more than Paul had achieved as a Jew, as a man who was a Jewish man. He had all the achievements. I mean, he would have been at the top as far as if anyone's going to get an award as a Jewish man, as a leader among the Jewish people. But yet, he'd not received what he was really after. He had all the, the achievements that a, a man could have had physically, but yet he knew he had not received what he was really after. He had an ultimate prize, 
that laid before him that he was looking forward to. Look at chapter 3 and verse number 13. Chapter 3 and verse number 13. Brothers, I do not consider that I've made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead. Paul wasn't finished. And Paul had not received yet what he was after. And I love what he says because I think it's, it's so important in my life because I get so distracted with things. But he says, this one thing I do. You know what that tells me about Paul? Paul was focused, wasn't he? He was focused. And I need to be more focused at times in my life. Because there are so many things around us that, that pull us away from what should be our focus in Christ. And what's interesting about Paul He says, this one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining towards what lies ahead. It wasn't that Paul didn't learn from his past. I think Paul learned a lot from his past, didn't he? And I think that's part of what drove Paul and motivated Paul. But Paul did not allow his past successes or his past weaknesses in his past failures to distract him from what lied in front of him, from what was ahead and what he was looking forward to. It didn't keep him from pressing on. He didn't allow it to hinder him from pressing on. How often do, do we sometimes get in a rut as Christians? How often do, do sometimes we, we look at our past failures and, and it's almost like it paralyzes us because Maybe we can't forgive ourselves or we don't think the Lord can forgive us and we focus on our failures. We don't allow ourselves to look forward to what we need to be doing right now or look ahead or look at least to the present what we need to be doing right now. Maybe we look to our past successes and we dwell on our past successes and we, we allow that to keep us from focusing on what we need to be doing in the Lord's work right now and in the future. Someone has said this, the past is a good guidepost. It's not a good hitching post. It's a good guidepost, but the past is not a good hitching post. You don't dwell on your past. We learn from it. We grow from it, but we don't need to dwell on it or dwell in it. Paul recognized that there was a prize, and so he forgot the past. He strained. It's that idea of giving everything that you have, all your effort to the finish line, giving every effort, straining forward to what lies ahead, pressing on toward the goal for the prize. And that prize, Paul says, is the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Paul forgot about all the achievements You go back to the first part of chapter 3, verses 4 through 6. He lists those things, and yet he forgot them all. They were rubbish. They were meaningless. He was straining towards the future. He was focused, and he was willing to give every effort, to put forth every effort to receive that prize. He was looking towards, he was looking ahead to that future prize. You get to the end of chapter 3, And he says, but our citizenship is in heaven. He's reminding the Philippians of who they are and what they had and where their citizenship really was. They were Roman citizens, and they were part of, you know, little Rome, which carried great weight in that day. 
But yet what he's saying is, don't forget, you're actually citizens of heaven. And from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. And then look at verse 21. Who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. He could forget what was behind. He could look ahead to the prize. He could look ahead to the coming of Christ. And one day that his lowly body is going to be transformed into a body like the Lord's, a glorious body like the Lord's. It's made for eternity. It's made to dwell in eternity with our Lord. So we see a prize in chapter 3, a prize that the Apostle Paul was after and was willing to leave everything behind to strain towards. Finally, we see power. We see power in chapter 4. You know the passage, maybe one of the most well-known passages in all of Scripture, even among people that are not necessarily religious people. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. You know, I used to write this verse under the bill of my baseball cap, hoping that the Lord would help me get a hit every time I stepped up to the plate. That he would help me make the play. Any ball that was hit in my area, that, that I would make the play. I think some people think that maybe, you know, it'll help you throw the ball 75 yards in football. It, it'll help you be able to high jump eight or nine feet. And yet, the more I study this passage, the more I come to understand that that's really not what Paul is talking about. I'm not saying that we don't need to have God in, in every part of our lives and be praying to him about every, uh, every aspect of our lives. But when you think about what he's talking about here, you've got to back up a little bit, don't you? You look back in verse number 11. Not that I'm speaking of being in need. Paul says, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. And then look at what he says in verse number 12. I know how to be brought low. I know how to abound in any and every circumstance. I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger abundance and need. So he says, I've learned the secret. I've learned the secret of facing plenty and of hunger. I've learned the secret of abundance and need. He's learned how to deal with having everything and having nothing. What's the secret, Paul? The power of the Lord. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. See, Paul could be content no matter what happened in his life. And if anybody could say that, Paul could say that, right? Because if it was going to happen, it happened to Paul. And if it was bad, it happened to Paul. And I think it carries great weight when Paul says this because he had been through a lot more than what I would ever imagine going through as a Christian. And he could be content because no matter what happened, he found strength, and he relied on strength in Christ. You know, if you're here tonight and you're a child of God, in other words, you've been added to the body of Christ, you have been placed in Christ. You have access to the same power that Paul had access to. You have access to the same strength that Paul had access to. Jesus gives the power. He provides the strength to face all conditions, all circumstances, all situations in this life. 
Paul could be content no matter what because of the power of our Lord. And I think if you go back to chapter 4, verse 4, I thought I had it up there. It is. I think we can understand how Paul could say rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. What's interesting about this is, you know, Paul doesn't say, you know, when things are good, you need to have joy in the Lord. Or, or you know, if, if the circumstances are, are good or okay, then, then it's a good thing to have joy in the Lord. I think we see a command here to the Philippians. Rejoice in the Lord, not just in the good times. Always. Good times and bad times. Easy situations, difficult situations. It's not an option either. I think it's a command. Joy is not dependent upon how good things are going in my life. Not if I'm a Christian, right? Joy is dependent upon, if you're a Christian, upon Jesus. It's dependent upon the fact that Jesus Christ came in the flesh, lived a perfect life, was willing to to sacrifice himself to be hung on a tree on the cross, to suffer, to bleed, to die, to be buried, but then by the power of God to be raised from the dead. And today, he sits at the right hand of the throne of God, and Jesus is alive. That is what our joy is dependent upon. Not upon our circumstances, but it's dependent upon the fact that our Lord's alive. He suffered and he died for us. So it doesn't matter what happens. It doesn't matter what man does to this body. And I think Paul is a great example for us in that. Brother Charles Hodge has said this, Joy to the world, the Lord has come. It's not a Christmas song. It's our faith. It's our faith. It's what our faith is rooted in. What it's built upon. And joy comes when you're right with God. You say, well, I, I just, I'm not very happy. You want joy? Get right with God. Now, that doesn't mean that, well, you say, well, I come to church every time the doors are open. That's great. That's not what we're saying. Are you right with God? Am I walking in the light? Am I living my life? Is Christ my life? Not as Christ is a part of my life, but is Christ my life? If he is, I have joy in any situation, any circumstance. So what we see is power in chapter 4, which provides contentment and it provides joy. And it's only found because of the power of our Lord and what he's done, the power of the cross and the resurrection of our Lord. This letter, it contains in it so many wonderful topics, so many wonderful themes. I mean, I, you, you could, I guess, choose a lot of different themes, so many important lessons, joy, peace, fellowship, the gospel. But if you were to sum it all up, the best way to sum it up is Christ. Christ. I'd encourage you, if you hadn't done this already, go through the book of Philippians. I don't know whether you're marking your Bibles or not. But if you do, underline Christ or Christ Jesus. Four chapters. And you're going to find almost 40 times. Christ or Christ Jesus. 
Philippians is a book about a lot of things, but I think more than anything, it's about Christ. It's about our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Christ is our purpose. Christ is our pattern. Christ, he's our prize. He's provided the prize, hasn't he? And really, if we're looking ahead to his coming, he is the prize. We're going to go be with him for all eternity if we remain faithful to him. And Christ, he's our power. He provides our power. Corey Ten Boom, in the hiding place, relates an, an incident with her and her sister, whose name was Betsy. And they were transferred to a, a German prison camp, and they'd been transferred to a lot of different camps. But this particular camp was the worst one that they had been, been put in or placed in. They enter the barracks, and they find that it's just extremely overcrowded. And the place is just infested with fleas. The scripture, though, that they read that morning was from 1 Thessalonians. And it had reminded them to rejoice, to rejoice always, to pray continually, and give thanks in all circumstances. Her sister Betsy told Corey to stop and, and to thank the Lord for every detail about their living quarters. But Corey just could not, she could not, she couldn't make herself pray about the fleas and to thank the Lord about the fleas. And so her sister Betsy just continued to encourage her, you thank the Lord about everything, every little detail, even the fleas. And so finally she did. Well, during the months spent at that camp, they were surprised to find how openly that, that they could hold Bible studies, they could, they could pray with the other prisoners there without any of the guards interfering. And it was several months later when they learned that the guards would not enter the barracks because of all the fleas. I don't know about you, but I've got some fleas in my life. And I, I even hesitate to even compare myself to, to what they endure. But, but what I mean by that, there's some things in my life that I wish were different. Even as a, a, a minister and a preacher, I look at, at some of, I look at my personality, I look at some, some weaknesses that I have, and I wish the Lord would take those things away because I could be a better Christian. I, I could be a better minister, better teacher. And yet, maybe I need those things because it, it allows me to depend upon the Lord. And you see, here's the thing. Regardless of my circumstances, regardless of our hardships or the weaknesses we have or, or whatever we face, when we depend upon God and we are thankful for the fleas, we're thankful in all circumstances, in every situation, then we can trust our Lord to work his purpose to work his will, no matter what our situation is, no matter where we find ourselves. David Roper, in his commentary, it's in the Truth For Today commentary, says this, Paul was independent of circumstances because he was dependent on Christ. He was independent of circumstances because he was dependent upon Christ. All the things that Paul mentions in this letter from the joy, the fellowship, the gospel, you name it. Everything he mentions in this, this letter, everything goes back to Jesus. It goes back to Christ. You can trace it all back to Christ. You see, all we need is Jesus Christ. All we need 
is Jesus. And so as we close tonight, we just want to leave us all with a challenge. Number one, make Christ your life. Don't just let him have a place of importance. Let him be your life. If he is your life, you keep him as your life. Because there's a lot of things out there that's trying to distract you from that. So make him your life or keep him your life. Number two, you follow his pattern. He left us a great example. He showed us the greatest example of, of humility and, and of, of putting others above ourselves, esteeming others above self. Follow his pattern. You keep your focus on the prize. Don't allow the things of this world that are temporary to distract you from the eternal prize that the Lord has provided through his death, burial, and resurrection. And then finally, you trust in his power. Don't trust in yourself. Trust in his power. Let him make you strong, even in your weaknesses, even in your hardships. If Christ is our life, it doesn't matter what this life brings. And like Paul said in, in chapter 1 and verse 21, if Christ is my life, then just like Paul, we can say, to die is gain. Pray with me, please. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your Son. Father, thank you for loving us the way that you do and for the hope you provided through Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection. Father, help us each day. Help us to wake up each day and be committed to making Jesus our life. Help us to follow his pattern. We pray, Father, that you will give us the wisdom, that you will give us the strength and the ability, Father, to, to focus on the prize that you have provided, that eternal reward. And, Father, we pray that you will help us to trust in your power. Father, we love you. We thank you for loving us. We know our love needs to grow, and we just pray you help us to grow in that and grow in our faith. May we never lose sight of what you have in store for your people, and may we help others come to know that as well. So, Jesus, then we pray. Amen.